Welcome, everybody. Uh, beautiful, beautiful day, beautiful weekend. We have been blessed in the spring weather and uh, the warmth that uh, we've had these last couple days. Uh, <laughs> even uh, talking with Aaron a little bit, just the, the drive to be outside um, was, was immense to, to be able to enjoy this. Uh, um, yeah, just to praise God for such a beautiful, beautiful weekend and beautiful day. Um, like you said, I, I'm normally praising Him for the water and the rain, but man, it is nice to have this as well. So, um, anyways, uh, Tony Martinez, uh, serve alongside three others, um, up here to share in God's Word with you this morning. And that Word that we'll be uh, diving into is going to be in Mark. Surprise, surprise. Um, we're going to be in chapter 2. And we're going to be in verses 5 through 9, if you guys would like to start turning there. And uh, we'll get going on a little bit, kind of uh, what's going on, where we're at. Um, not too deep, but just enough to get a little bit of context on where we're at. So, um, as you know, Jesus is well in on his ministry now. Um, he's gone back to Capernaum, um, kind of his home base, where he spends most of his time preaching. And he's gone back there, and he has started to build a little bit of a crowd. Um, the, his message is getting out there. People are starting to follow. People are starting to take notice. And we have this large gathering at this particular home that, uh, that a lot of people are at. And in this gathering, we've got no room to get to Jesus, and we've got these, these men that are bringing up their buddy, uh, a paralytic, that that is needing healed, needing help. They can't get to Jesus to, 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 to talk to him, to do anything, and so um, they go the route of putting a hole in the roof, um, going up on top. Um, roofs were pretty accessible. Um, it was talked or mentioned, either Chris said it or in one of my uh, studies, that the roof was almost like our back porch. Um, you know, you go out and you have some barbecues and stuff like that. So um, it was pretty accessible to get to this roof. So, um, you know, anyways, they go up there, they create a hole, and they lower this man down to Jesus. And that's kind of where we're, we're taking off today is, is this, is, is this large crowd um, hearing Jesus um, preach and teach, and we've got this man that is lowered down through the, through the roof. And so, anyways, uh, I'd like to read Mark 2, uh, 5 through 9, and we'll get into... Uh, more of, of what God is teaching us here. So it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to, say, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? This is God's word. Join me in prayer. Oh, Father, so overjoyed, Lord, in your word to have it here, Lord, this gift that you have given us, to be able to study, to be able to see who you are, for your salvation through it, Lord, in our darkness, in our tripping and falling, Lord, that you are this light that, that gives, Father. 
We thank you so much for that, Lord, and we ask for that light today, Lord, that we can understand, we can hear, we can see your word, Father. And Lord, just as already has been mentioned, Lord, that we're forever changed in this, that we are not the same, Father, that we just are continually um, sanctified in you, Lord, made more and more like you, Father, and less and less like our fleshly, ugly selves, Father. Lord, it's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen. So we start off, very first phrase in five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Right here, right off the bat, we see only one healer, and their faith showed that. They pursued, they, they pushed into the crowd, so much so that they couldn't get through the crowd, that they went on the roof. Um, that's the type of faith they had. Like, it's encouraging to see this, and, and just right off to the bat, like, this message more and more I got into it was more of like not just lip service. We have an act. We have an action, not just say things but don't follow through. Acted, not lip service. Um, that's how this is, is I think, going to be through the whole message today that God gives us, is what are our actions? What is the actions of Christ? What are the actions of these men? Um, you know, so many times like we, we want to maybe get together with one another, we'll set an appointment, we'll do things, we'll, we'll go to someone, we'll see if they have the answer to this, and we move on to the next. Like, do we have faith? Do we act on that faith and understand God has us? Like these men, this is the answer so much so that we're pushing to Him no matter what. We see faith in action. And the big highlight right here that, that kind of draws a line in the sand for the rest of the verses, son, your sins are forgiven. This is what Jesus says. What is he saying? You know, forgiven. Debt canceled. All that was owed is paid. These are big words. These are serious words. Your wrongs that you have done made right. Like, what is this showing right off the bat? Honestly, it's showing authority. But authority in some of the most serious of matters. A debt forgiven, whereas no one has the authority to forgive that kind of debt. But one. And that one is God. Jesus in the flesh. Like, this is why the line in the sand is drawn. Like, this is a serious, serious thing that is said. And, and it takes attention. It should grab our attention on this. And we see that. You move into to verse 6, and it says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. So, again, how, how God has built me and, and wired me, I, who are the scribes? You hear them all the time, you're like, what's going on here? And then that led into, well, honestly, who are all the other words I hear? The, and so, the, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. And so, I got into that, and I just wanted to share a little bit, to build a little bit of context on what's going on, who these guys are. And so, who were the scribes? So, these scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. The scribes. Scribes in ancient Israel were learned men whose business was to study the law, transcribe it, and write commentaries on it. They were also hired on occasions when the need for a written document arose or when an interpretation of a legal point was needed. Like these guys were kind of behind the scenes. They studied God's word. They transcribed it from one to another in great detail, making sure nothing was missing. And they knew it. Like they knew it deeply. And again, it talked about writing commentaries on it. They wrote some studies on it. 
They weren't so much the men in the front lines like uh, preachers or anything like that, but they, were, they knew the law. So to hear this man say what he said, they knew exactly what it meant. The Sanhedrin, if I even pronounced that right this time. Thank you. <laughs> um, they was like the Supreme Court. Like Again, you guys, like you read the Bible and sometimes you, you blaze through it, and, and I've been guilty of this. Like it, it took some studying to understand this. Like They was like the Supreme Court of ancient Israel. They were um, the Supreme Court of like the Jews. Um, they were made up of 70 men. You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees that were made up in this group, along with the high priest. Those were the people that made up this type of Supreme Court. So, who were the Sadducees? They were an aristic class connected with everything going on in the temple in Jerusalem. They tended to be wealthy and had held powerful positions, including that of the chief priests and high priests. They also held the majority of the 70 seats of that ruling council. They were more political in nature, bending a bit to appease Rome, to keep the peace. Like They, they were more after that, um, well, probably more about themselves um, in a lot of ways. Like it says, they were more into the political side of things than the religious side of things. Um, they honestly weren't well-liked by the commoners. Um, again, they, they were a type of the wealthy to do off, um, the, the type that liked... Um, the attention on them. A weird thing that I didn't know, they really only held belief in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Law of Moses. That's really what they held on to. They didn't care so much about the Psalms and all the other stuff that goes on. Um, they really just held on to the, five, the first five books. The Pharisees, they were an influential, influential religious sect with, within Judaism in the time of Christ and the early church. Most of these were middle-class men, businessmen. They were the leaders of the synagogues. These were mostly the priests. They had more of a, like people could approach them easier. Like it says, they weren't the elite. They also, even though they were less in numbers, they had a little bit more control in the decision-making of the Sanhedrin. They, because they had the popular support of the commoners. And so they did have a little bit more clout, even though they were less than. The problem with the Pharisees, in a lot of ways, is they gave equal authority to oral tradition as they did to Scripture itself. They really held on to tradition, to the way that um, their ancestors did it or anything like that, but they also added some things along the way. A very traditional type of people. And those, those were kind of the, the, the three main things that you see over and over in the book that, that Jesus has confrontation with these, with these leaders. And then here it's the scribes. The scribes are sitting there and, and they're listening to Jesus say, your, sons are for, or your sins are forgiven. In Mark 2, 6 through 7, it says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The scribes were short-circuiting a bit here. Why? The text tells us. Who can forgive sins but God alone? To them, it was like I was up here saying to you all, Bob, your sins are forgiven today. 
Jen, your sins are forgiven. Like, I am the authoritative role in that, saying that. Like, if I said that, I would hope you guys would like, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute here, Tony. Who do you think you are? Like, that is not yours to be saying. That is like, that is Christ and Christ alone. So no wonder the, the scribes are short-circuiting a bit. They hear this. They know God's word. They know what sin is. And they're like, man, you have not that authority to do that is what they're thinking. And again, I, I hope we'd all be doing the same thing. I hope in our hearts, if someone said that to you, you'd be like, why is this man speaking like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Another question arose in my head. Why, if I've sinned against you, Bob, is it ultimately a sin against God? Isn't it just a sin between you and I? Like, I've done you wrong. Shouldn't that be who I'm seeking forgiveness? It really doesn't concern God in this. Like, it's just, Bob, I've done you wrong. I'm sorry. First and foremost, God is the one who told you to do or not to do the very thing you did. You disobeyed God by wronging whoever you wronged. Think of it this way. If your child steals, let's say, a candy bar from Smith's, child gets caught. Smith's, however, doesn't press charges. They don't throw your child in jail. They don't even ask for the money or the candy bar back. They forgive you. Does that mean you're off the hook with mom and dad? Again, the authoritative role, mom and dad, you knew, you were taught the same thing with God, like we know. And so to sit here and say, I've sinned against Bob or sinned against whoever, like ultimately I have sinned against God Almighty. He is the creator of right and wrong. He's the one that is the ultimate authority. He told me so from the start not to do it. So I've sinned against Bob, but ultimately I've sinned against God. Another example, is it really any different with the law of the land, where we live? Heaven forbid, one of us murders somebody. The family forgives you. And not only forgives you, they don't press charges. Are you free to go? No. You broke the law of the land, you're going to be charged by the state. Hence, our courts are full of state versus so-and-so. This is the ultimate authority. Even if someone was to let you go, there's still consequences to be had. There's still an authority you have to answer to. The same thing. Like, ultimately, God is the one that forgives sins. Ultimately, it's the one, He's the one we've sinned against. Another thought on this. When I sin, let's say against Bob, since I'm using Bob for an example... I'm ultimately hurting or destroying something that God has made good, that God loves. And I am painting something that God loves. <laughs> Another analogy. <laughs> when you as a kid egged your buddy on to jump, to jump that ditch first on his pedal bike before you did, even though you knew there was no way he was going to make it, <laughs> lying deceit all coming through your lips you're you're doing all this and he doesn't make it he wrecks and breaks his arm not only did you probably apologize to your friend probably apologize to his parents as well you hurt someone 
that they loved. Like that is the same thing. Like God does not like us to pain each other, to bring hurt and pain and and destruction on each other. Like that's the other part of this. Like we're hurting something that he has made good, that he loves. It's just not a good thing. Like we need God's forgiveness. He's the one we go to. Again, we forgive each other, we talk to each other, and we ask for forgiveness, but ultimately, again, it goes, who are, we, who are we sinning against? God Almighty. So again, it says, so now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The wording, son, your sins are forgiven, is a big deal, and rightly so. The scribes knew God's word and how serious sin was to God. Only one and one alone could say this. For them to hear and see some man say this would, of course, brought some thoughts. Like we said earlier, I hope it would bring some thoughts if someone up here was saying that. Why does that man speak like that? Why is Tony saying that? He is blaspheming. Does he not know who he is? He's not God. Why does he say that? I hope that you guys, it would bring the same thoughts. I hope that you know this that well, that it would bring them same thoughts. Of reverence to God, who He is and what He teaches. So as the, as the scribes are probably sitting there, this guy's either a complete nut, or with plenty of false teaching out there, out there now and in Jesus' time, what would you do? We have several examples here on this, what's going on. Like, would you instantly confront him? Would you just turn away and say, oh, he's nuts? Letting him go on and possibly harm others? Would you instantly just judge him and say, again, he's a nut job? Or would you listen and then possibly speak? James 1.19 Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. No one likes to hear blasphemy against someone we love, and it can bring a righteous anger. But are we listening and loving first? In this case, it was the Messiah. But what if it's a false teacher? Do we instantly confront outside of love? Do we turn away outside of love? Do we instantly judge them outside of love? Or do we, as James says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It comes back to know the truth, love the truth, and share the truth in love. For God and their benefit, not your righteousness. Not Bible thumping them, not, you're an idiot. That doesn't win anyone over to, to the Word of Christ. Like, listen, what is going on in their hearts? What are they fighting? Share the good news and truth and love. Not in, you're an idiot. Again, the scribes ultimately had the right thing going on. Ultimately, like this is blasphemy against God. Who are you to say that? But did they take the time to possibly love Jesus? 
to, for his best interest, go and ask questions. What's going on? Why do you say these things? And instantly not just jump over, but they listen to what he has to say. Again, know the truth, love the truth, and share the truth in love. For God and their benefit, not your righteousness. Even our enemies. How many times have we, have we shared the message? So I'm, I'm just guilty of this. Just shared the message to um, our friends, co-workers, that may be the other faith next door. And it's not been in patience. It's not been like within love. I confront out of, you're an idiot. Instant this self-righteousness that I've got it figured out and that you don't. All the time forgetting, God's the one that opened my eyes. God's the one that let me see. And thinking that, it was a, that I'm the one that did it. Matthew 5, 43, 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. love our enemies walk with them again it's sometimes hard to listen again that listening though you you start to build where they're at what's going on and you can offer better the the truth better if you understand where they're at then again just beating them over the head mark 2 8 and immediately jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Why do you question these things in your hearts? Again, is it for God's good? This man's good or yours? What's in their hearts? In this case, we know a little bit more of the backstory. We've got all of Scripture and, scripture and we've seen what's been going on. Unfortunately, they're fighting a lot of the same things I think we fight. Our own glory. They are the religious elite, not this man named Jesus. And who is this man taking some of this glory away from us? The religious elite, the scribes. We're the ones that copy the law and write it down. Who are you to come in here to our neighborhood and say these things? Jesus says it this way. Again, we're privy, we, we've got this information that we can see, and so we can see into their hearts. In Matthew 23, 1 through 15, then Jesus said to the crowds and the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. 
They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their... Man, I was going to study this word. <laughs> and I didn't study... Isn't these the long tassels, you guys? The... Liz, help me out. The... They all do their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phyrolactically's broad and their fringes long. It's their clothing. They're trying to look like more important. They wear this fancy clothing that shows like from uh, some of the religious righteous ways of, of, the, of, the, of the practices they did in the temple. So again, they make these, the special clothing and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbis by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he comes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And we're talking about actions versus our words. The Pharisees were good. The scribes were good at telling God's law, preaching God's law. They were horrible at obeying it. They were horrible in the heart of it, of seeing people for human beings. I looked up that word and I probably pronounced it wrong. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes going around, spreading the gospel, sharing the good news. And they're sharing the wrong type of news. They're making it about their law and their righteousness. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You're teaching them all these things, but you're teaching them in a works-based mentality where it's about you and not about God, not about Jesus. So you stand on the throne in your righteousness, not in God's. So we can see their heart. It's about them and their glory, not Jesus. They were upset because they had another man enter their turf, and he's getting some praise, he's getting some glory, and not them. This is what's in their hearts. This is the bad part about it. Not listening, not taking a step back, and, and trying to understand. Like again, there are false teachers out there. We need to be prepared. Again, listen. And false teachers, they are our enemies. Like That's not a good thing. They're trying to change who our God is. So there is seriousness to that. But again, how are you approaching them? How are you going? Because, and they need God as much as we needed God and still need God. Mark 2, 9. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? 
or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. So here, Jesus is, is seeing in their hearts, you're questioning my authority. So which would be easier for someone without authority to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. He's setting them up. It's really more important that this man's sins are forgiven. But to quench their authority, their, this authority question, he puts it back on them with a question. What if this man rises? Not just rises, but stands up, picks up his bed, and takes off. Would that show you anything? Remember John the Baptist? He had the same type of question. Luke 7, 18 through 23. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, all these things that Jesus had been doing. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. Raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Here we have a man that baptized Jesus, heard the Father speak about Jesus, and he's personally struggling with some of this. Read some, a few things, possibly thoughts of, if this is the Savior of Israel, why am I in jail? I spoke of repentance to King Harold. Why am I in jail? Possibly thoughts of like, if this is the Messiah, this is the ruler, like shouldn't, shouldn't all of these be crushed? Shouldn't Rome be done with? What's going on here? I like that we see I think as we grew up and, and reading Scripture or having Scripture read to us, or maybe you haven't been growing up in the church, but there's, there's some things that we perceive as St. Peter or these holier-than-thou people. Like, wow, they were, man, could you imagine to have faith like that person or anything like that? We almost put these people on pedestals. Like, God used them well, no doubt. But don't forget, they are like you and I. They have flesh. They have struggles. Here we have one of the heroes of the Bible, and we're seeing his humanness, a possible lack of faith. A thought process, like he had seen things, he baptized Jesus, he's the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God. And here he is in jail, I don't know how long later, but he's in jail, and he's obviously questioning what's going on here, thinking of maybe a different type of ruler. Again, guys, if I can't just remember, Paul, John, all these men were men. All of them were just men. This isn't what I expected, are you sure? This is basically just probably John's thought process. Luke seven twenty two through 23. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. 
the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Where does this come from? He's pointing John to go back. Like, look at this. You know Scripture. You know the Old Testament. What does it say in Isaiah 35, 5 through 6? What's the prophecy in there? The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame men leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness. That's how he answered him. In action, not just in word. This is what's going on here. It was shown. What does this show? Jesus is so much more than lip service. He is the Messiah. He is God. So in kind of winding down and closing, I have a question. and I'm just going to pause for a minute and just ask you, and ask you guys to think about it, maybe jot it down, whatever it is. What have you been shown? We have so many things that have been shown through Jesus in, in Scripture. Does that just end at Scripture? So again, take a moment. What have you been shown? What have I been shown? There's a lot to say on that. My biggest thing comes to my eyes, my ears have been opened. God revealed to me just how ugly I am and can be, how selfish of a person I am, how in a lot of ways it's always about Tony. I still fight with Tony Land been able to see just how ugly I am and also to see in that how beautiful God is. My ears open to God's word after so many years without. What else have I been shown? 2,000 years of undeniable foundation in Christ when everything else in this world has no foundation here today and gone tomorrow, not Christ, not, not His Word. Twelve ordinary men whose lives were in chaos until they seen the resurrected Christ. This God is not lip service. He is God. He is action. In that, I went to bed on this and got up and it was put on my heart to bring, like, in front of the church, what have we been shown? I shared a little bit on mine. A few individuals were brought to my heart this morning. Um, one of them's not here. That's fine. God had different plans. Um, but in that, I've got a few others that I would just like to bring up. And I want to show you miracles. I want to show you what God has done. We tend to think that these things, 
these miracles don't happen anymore. And we're kind of maybe even sometimes numb to this stuff. In saying that, I'd like to ask uh, Jen, Chris, and Maria to come up, please. You'll take that up with uh, someone after this, because I was told explicitly to do it this way. (laughs) Um, Anyways, this is not to glorify these people by any way. This is humbly to reflect God's glory. We have a woman here that um, she doesn't have, sometimes she shares with us this story of, like, I wasn't brought from the depths of, of addictions or anything like that, like... Um, kind of this kind of in-the-background type of testimony. Um, God has made her the most givingest person I know outside of Christ. Um, she has walked with me when I did not deserve to be walked with and continues to walk with me when I don't deserve to be walked with. What has been shown through this woman in her prayers is the man that's standing here today, um, what God has done through her prayers and never given up on me. A, man, a, a woman that continues to give. Here is what's been shown in faithfulness in what God has done. Like, is she a perfect saint? No. Like, she needs forgiveness like the rest of us. But just because she doesn't have this glorious turnaround story of something like, this is her testimony on what God has done through her givenness. And I'm just blown away. Like, Jenna is a huge giver. And, and um, I'm so thankful for the Lord in what and how He made you. We've got these two that have the other spectrum in, in some things, like they have fought with things. This man here that I've become to, to, to call a brother, a friend, to grow with, like I didn't know this man before this. Honestly, wouldn't have cared for him much either. You hear some of his stories and some of the things, I would, have been, I would have been a little bit irate with the man. A man that has seen death at least seven times, um, he tells me that he's overdosed seven different times. Um, there's no reason this man should be standing here today, and yet he stands before us. And not only does he stand, he's free from what, what had so much grip on him. This is what God does. This is what's shown. Maria, you're not much different. Like I says, I don't know much about you as far as who you were before Christ. I've just heard the stories. The same thing. Maria has fought things. She was in a horrible car accident. She lost her children. Like for her to have what she has right now, like this is what God has shown. Again, this is not to bring glory on them, on any of us. It's to reflect glory back to Him. This is God's doing. None of these people stand up here to say this is by their doing. Anything to share, all three of you? Like, <laughs> you don't have to, by the way. And if you do, Paige just told me to grab the mic.